I just want to pray for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we're, we're given as Americans to freely choose to come to your house on a Sunday morning and to worship you, God. I thank you for that. I thank you for the opportunity to, to just to declare that you are God and to, to, to worship you for that fact, God. I pray that you be with, with us as we open up your word, God, that, that your message would be proclaimed and that, that you would be shown glory. In your name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> A few weeks ago, uh, when I filled in and preached, I told you I love the minor prophets. And, and, and exp- I just love those books. Uh, the, the jobs of the prophets was to proclaim God's message to his people. And most of the prophets are calling his people to return, to repent. And if you recall from a few weeks ago, I said the minor prophets are called the minor prophets or the book of the twelve. And they do that not because they're not as significant, but because they're much smaller in size and that they're the last 12 books of the Old Testament. And most of those prophets were written in Hebrew poetry with more of an emphasis of God speaking through his prophets to his people. And most of those minor prophets used oracles to proclaim God's word. And and the minor prophet we're looking at today, though, is a lot different and goes about it in a completely different style. It's more of a narrative between a prophet, a narrative of a prophet and his struggles with God. But before we jump completely into that passage, I kind of want to share a story with you that I think helps transition into that prophet. And as I've said a few times before here, this church, that I grew up playing baseball. And as a result of that, I always had a ball or something in my hands throwing it around. And I did that in Inside the house or outside of the house, it didn't matter where I was, I was throwing things. And uh, one day, me and my sister were in the house, and we decided we wanted to throw a ball around in our room. And uh, I threw one a little too hard and a little above her head, and it hit the window. It, it didn't completely break it. It only cracked it. But as you can imagine, a cracked window is very hard to hide from your parents. And uh, I got in some trouble, and I... Should have learned a lesson there. The, the key word in that last sentence was, I should have learned a lesson. Now, flash forward a week later, and I am spending the weekend with my grandparents, with my grandmother. And when I stayed with her, my younger cousin would come over, and we would hang out together. So we were in our uh, grandmother's room playing around, and uh, one of us had the idiotic idea of playing dodgeball. That idiot would have been me. So we were not playing dodgeball with a ball either. We were playing with a stuffed car. It was a stuffed animal, essentially, from the movie Cars. It was, if you've watched it, it was Sally from the movie. And it was rather large. And we were, we were throwing it, and we were having a great time. And out of the blue, my uh, cousin decided to try something new to try to get me out instead of just throwing it at me. He threw it at the ceiling, trying to make it bounce off the ceiling to hit me. Well, he was not very accurate. He, he missed the ceiling altogether and hit a shelf. And on that shelf was ceramic birds. And that shelf was directly above my head. And so I look up to see when, the ball, when this car is going to fall from the ceiling. And as I do, and it seems like it happened in slow motion, one of these birds fell and hit me in the head. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's exactly what's wrong with me. But... uh. And this is where the redneck part of my family comes out. 
because instead of taking me to urgent care to a, a doctor's office, we butterfly stitched it and super glued my head back together and didn't tell my mother until she picked me up the, that Sunday afternoon. But uh, it took for me to get a, a lifelong scar that I have above my eyebrow to learn that I shouldn't throw things in the house and that, that I should listen to my parents. It, it took something major for me to see and to change. And today, the passage we're looking at, it took someone, something major to see and to have a change and to learn a lesson the hard way. And if you haven't guessed it, we're looking at Jonah this morning. And I love the book of Jonas, Jonah because obviously I can relate from the story I just shared with you. And, and Jonah, he, he sees Nineveh, the people that God has proclaimed him to go preach a message to, as an evil group of people who are corrupt and wicked and deserving of punishment. He, he sees this immoral place and this group of people that God has called him to preach against because of their wickedness, and he didn't want to go. I think all of us can relate to seeing the immoral things and not wanting to do anything about it. That, that Jonah, I mean, that's some hard stuff to call out. And we don't want to have our toes stepped on. And we, when, when we see that moral decay, though, in our world, we have a choice of how we can respond to it. We can either join in, we can have a positive response to it, or we can have a negative response to it. We have to make the choice of how we respond. No matter what our response, though, I know for a fact that we serve a powerful God. He's always in control. He always knows what is going on. And God uses all human events, whether good or bad, to bring glory to him. He finds, also find, always finds a way in those events to extend an invitation to join his team. He leaves it up to us to choose. <clears throat> and, and Jonah, he, he, he struggled with that choice. He, he has this debate with himself on rather, on rather, should he be faithful to God and have a positive response? or to be disobedient and have a negative response. And he chooses disobedience, which leads to him ending up in the belly of the fish. And this isn't just some fish story. It isn't just some fairy tale. This is a story that many unbelievers like to, to, to use to illegitimize Christianity. Many say it's impossible for a man to, to survive in the belly of a fish for three whole days. I've heard many Christians over my life argue that it is possible but even they were a little skeptical in their explanations. The, this account, though, is not something that we can merely explain because it's a miracle from, the, from God that brings glory in Jonah's shortcomings. It's not our jobs as believers to explain that, only to embrace it and see God's glory. And if you struggle to believe that miracle, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you look any farther in Scripture, you're going to find much harder miracles to believe, especially some of the ones that Jesus performed. And with Jesus in mind, I want to read Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 41. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something then greater than Jonah is here. And that points to a miracle that is unexplainable in our terms. How, how a man died on a cross, was placed in the ground and laid in a tomb for three days, 
and rose again. And man, that man, that, that miracle, that ultimately brought so much glory to God. Just this morning, just a few moments ago, we marveled and remembered the ultimate miracle in our time in communion. We celebrate the fact that we had a God who had a plan. We celebrate the fact that we have a God who is in control. And we celebrated the, that we have a God who can perform some mighty miracles. <clears throat> so now we're going to jump into Jonah and actually look at his story just a little bit. We're going to start in chapter, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh, it was the capital city of Assyria. They were, they were gaining great military power and was beginning to pose this big military threat to the nation of Israel. And the Israelites have a bit of an arrogance about themselves of being God's people. And we see that in Jonah here with how he acts towards Nineveh. Nineveh eventually is going to conquer Israel in roughly 40 years. And Israel will be absorbed into the Persian Empire that eventually became Babylonia. And reading Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to, free, to flee from the Lord. And Tarshish is in Spain. It, it, it was, and that, at that time, it was the farthest away that he could get from Nineveh as humanly possible. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below, below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. We see here that, that Jonah is suffering the consequences of his action, and so are the sailors facing the consequences of Jonah's actions. Just like Jonah, though, we also suffer the consequences of our actions. God, in this, this instance, sends a big storm. I find it funny that, that, that the pagan sailors were so afraid they were crying out to their gods, and we see the prophet of the Lord is, what's he doing? He's sleeping. How often are we like Jonah, though? How often are we asleep and not crying out to our God? We know we have a God to cry out to. He just wants us to do it. Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this, tr all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what are your people? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. I find it very interesting that, that, that Jonah had heard from the Lord. And what did he do? He ran. He didn't obey. He ran away. We know that God isn't with us when we're living in disobedience and in sin. And he wasn't with Jonah at that moment. Jonah chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? 
Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And sometimes we see in this story that sometimes non-believers can be more spiritually sensitive than Christians can be. Let me say it again. Sometimes non-believers can be more spiritually sensitive than we can be as Christians. The pagan sailors, they turned their course. They repented, and they didn't want to be punished for what they ultimately thought would kill Jonah. These pagan men turned, then turned to God and accepted him. Jonah chapter 1, the last verse in verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God was good. Even in Jonah's disobedience, God was good. Despite his obedience, God provided and he protected for Jonah. And I'm willing to go out on a fin here. My sister got mad when I told her I was putting this pun in. But I'm willing to go out on a fin here and say that if we were in Jonah's shoes, God would have gotten our attention. And that, that ah, sorry, I skipped ahead. That, that large fish that God provided uh, saved Jonah from drowning. And then when in the belly of the fish, Jonah prays. And it's, if you haven't read it, it's a powerful prayer. And it's beautiful. And this happens at the very, very end of chapter 2 and verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. And at that moment, God had gotten Jonah's attention. And I'm willing to say he had had our attention, too, in that moment. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a large city, a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Wow, finally. We see Jonah was obedient. He finally did what God told him to do. It's, that's such a novel concept, to be obedient. I, I, I do love this about Jonah because... Even though it took God to make himself abundantly clear what he wanted, Jonah still went to Nineveh. He obeyed, even if it took a detour. Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Jonah began, began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on a sackcloth. Eight words were repeated over and over and over again. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What a powerful message. I and mean, then such a short message. It would definitely put some fear of me if I was a Ninevite at that point. And the Ninevites, they, they used that fear. And they used it to begin to believe the message and believe in God. Continuing on in Jonah 3, verses 6 through 9. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals 
herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Wow. What a response from a king. A king who is lavished in these luxury garments, takes them off, puts on a sackcloth, and sits in the dirt. He proclaimed to, to the people that he was ruling, hey, do the same. And to give up this, this wicked lifestyle that you're living and the violence that you have and call on God. What a scene. What a complete heart change. I think it's one of the most beautiful revival scenes in all of Scripture. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. What a moment. God, he, he saw repentance. He saw that heart change. He saw a shift in behavior. God showed, saw all of this, and he, he showed his compassion. I know for me, and I'm sure Jeff would agree, if we preached a message like Jonah and saw the reaction that, that, that Jonah got from the Ninevites, we would have been overjoyed at what God was doing at the people. And at the, at the sight of a message that hit home, and it led to change. You would think Jonah would have had a similar thought process, but that isn't the case. Jonah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. It was better in Jonah's eyes to die than to live if the Ninevites were forgiven. And Jonah fled because he knew eventually that it would lead to repentance and that the Ninevites would be forgiven and not punished. And that's not what he, not what he wanted. He wanted to see them punished for their actions and their sin. Jonah chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah had left, and even though he knew punishment wasn't coming, he went to try to see a fireworks show. He wanted to see God's wrath come down because that's what he believed was what should have happened and that should be intended for Nineveh. Jonah chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. Then the Lord had provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm <clears throat> which chewed the plant so that it had withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. 
And I, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God here, he's providing for Jonah, gives him some shade to, to stay out of the heat, and then takes it away. And Jonah's angry, angry, angry that he lost the plant that had given him some shade and some coolness. God questions Jonah asking, should he not care for Nineveh, who's so much greater than that one little plant? Jonah is so selfish here, he's wallowing in his self-pity. And, and, that, and that is it. That's how the book of Jonah ends. So what? What do we take as believers from Jonah? Jonah's a, Jonah in this story could care less about people, about the Ninevites. And God is saying the whole time to him and to the people, hey, I care. I love these people. And I, I think that with that in mind, we can take two lessons away from Jonah. The first is that, that we should see those who are different from us as how God sees them, as people he wants to forgive. I can say this. There's no person alike. There isn't. I'm different than you. You're different than me. We're all different. In man church, we, as, as people, we love to find some differences. We find differences in everything that we can. And sometimes when we find those differences, it makes us think less of people. Do you think less of people who are of a different race? Or people think less of people who are alcoholics? Do you think of less of people who live their lives lawlessly? Do you think less of people who have different political views? Do you think less of people who live differently than us? If you think less of those people, I challenge you to be different. I challenge you to find ways to love on those people and to forgive them because that's exactly what God wants. It's exactly what he's done. God sees them as his children and he wants them to be forgiven of their sins. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to face his wrath. It's the reason he sent Jesus. He wants everyone to come to repentance and to, and to be with him. And he wants everyone to be spared and saved, just as Nineveh was. The second is lesson we can learn from Jonah is we should see ourselves as how God sees us. We, he sees us as his children, but he sees us as sinners too. I'm a sinner in need of repentance. Jeff's a sinner in need of repentance. You are a sinner in need of repentance. Jonah was a sinner in need of repentance. The pagan sailors were sinners in need of, in need of repentance. It took a storm for the sailors to realize it. It took Jonah being swallowed by a fish to realize it. What's it going to take for you? And Jonah, God was pursuing Jonah and wanting him to repent just as much as he wanted Nineveh to repent. And he, he's doing the same for us. He's pursuing me and you, wanting us to repent. The question is, will you? I know a couple of weeks ago when I preached on Hosea, the whole sermon and really the whole book of Hosea is a call to you to repent, to return to God. And church, that's something we're called as believers to do, to shoo, to return, to repent. Are you running from God today? Are you hiding sin from God today? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to die to yourself? Are you willing to surrender to God? And if, if you're reading with us in our Bible reading plan, you know we're about halfway through. 
And it keeps pointing back to one big thing, surrender. And I want to close with this question. Are you this morning surrendered to God? Would you pray with me? Dearly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for, for your word, God, and being able to open it and to study it and to see what you would have to say, God. I, I pray that if there is anyone here today that isn't surrendered to you, God, that, that they would make that decision to be surrendered and to live their lives for you, God, to bring you glory. <clears throat> God, I pray a prayer of thankfulness again for being able to be here and to, to, to open your word, to, to, to study, to see what you would have to say, and, and to worship you and, and to bring glory and honor to you, God. pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen.